How's it going, everybody? Welcome today to the Ask LFC podcast. It is great to be here with you guys. This is episode 46. My name is Harrison Gilming, Worship Arts Director here at Lake Forest in Huntersville. Hey, this is Mike Moses, lead pastor of, uh, founding pastor of Lake Forest Church. Good to be with you today. We are going to address one solitary focused question for our content today, and it is this, and then I'll leave it hanging for a moment. Why is Jesus still wounded after his resurrection? I can't wait. I can't wait. So while that's hanging for a second, we'll step back in the story for a moment. We just celebrated Easter. We did, and I have the the stressed out vocal cords to prove it. I, my sermon was a little more yelly than normal, okay? But I was quoting a guy, a great preacher, but man, after doing that just three times and two times in my office ahead of time uh, over techno music, um, I'm, I was kind of toast, and I'm, I'm going to be down in this range f- probably through Sunday. I was, I was planning on ahead of time, uh, after we had rehearsed it with the team on Wednesday night, I told everybody, you know, if you don't have a voice on Monday, then you probably done it at least halfway right because we had a big old fat party up there on the stage. <laughs> and was, y'all were um, singing your tails off. Man, I hope I hope that you were able, uh, Lake Forest family, if you're listening to this, uh, you're probably the type of person that was able to join us either online or in person for our Easter gatherings. But man, it was uh, it was just such a uh, it it was it was the coolest time together we've had as a church really in a year it was for many many reasons and for me personally with my role there was this extreme difference between how I preached my sermon online to the online version to people in the room with masks on I I didn't anticipate this at all Harrison but when I stood up there ready to teach the word of God to hundreds of God's people arrayed out in our lawn and they were expectant and hungry and ready um, but to see their faces instead of their masks just uh, made a lot of difference for me in personal connectivity. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we're looking forward to uh, as we have debriefed even over these last couple days. Really, it didn't even take a couple days. It was pretty much while we were packing up the stage. I know Mike and I have had some conversations. We've spoken some with other members of our staff. We all kind of looked at each other and we're like. We're going to have to at least do a little bit more of this outside church stuff, aren't yes. we? And gladly. Yes. We, that has been a primary intera- um, response coming in from all sides. Hey, we should do that every week. Well, we probably won't do it every week. God graced it, favored us and many other churches with great weather. But we are going to put that in the repertoire. Mm-hmm. And um, sooner rather than later, a.k.a. pre-summer, we're going to look out at a 14-day forecast and be like, let's just do that again. And we can actually get more people out there, and they can hear it well than we uh, had on Sunday. So I'm looking. I can't wait to do that again, quite honestly. It was awesome. It was awesome. Well, so as we're, as we're in the story, you know, this year we're looking at the whole story. Mike, I, I thought uh, you did a really neat job in that sermon uh that you put together for easter um of it was it was a really creative way to stay in the whole story we talked about 
Moses and we talked about the snake on a stick and how that directly leans forward to Jesus. So if we're if we're in the story, uh, the question we're wrestling yes, and, with today. I would ahead. like to. I, I have thought about writing back to my seminary professors and president and saying, "Hey, I would like special credit. Could I get extra credit?" For bringing in the book of numbers and snake on a stick to Easter in a relevant way. <laughs> That's some seminary bonus points right there. They're going to go back and, and retroactively give you a grade better in some class. Summa cum laude, because I didn't earn that the first time. That's right. <laughs> um, if you're looking at the story, if you're looking at, at the death and resurrection of Jesus, the question that we're wrestling with today uh, is one that is one of the very first questions that even uh, the the disciples wrestled with in the immediate aftermath of the resurrection of Jesus. So it feels very timely. It feels like if you're reading the story, it's we're just turning one page. We're going right to the next page. So Mike, you you teased at it before. Um, what is this? What is the question we're wrestling with today? Why is Jesus still wounded after his resurrection? It's a question I've entertained before, but never have my own answer, nor have I ever had cause to uh, go research that. But it's a really interesting question, and I want to come at it from a bunch of different angles. And let me tell you why I thought this would be a good post-Easter question for us. Um, Because it does resonate that it's the next page of the Bible, Thomas and uh, others. Um, And and so here's how I came across this. I, there's a collection of news apps I keep on my phone that I, I check m- many or most of them daily. Just w- something I do. At my best, it's to stay in touch with the world. At my worst, it's, it's addiction and keeps me out of reading, spiritual reading and theology and stuff. Um, so it, here's something that was really interesting over last weekend, starting with Thursday. I noticed that in most of the apps that I check regularly, they had some really good articles because of his Easter weekend, on Christian themes, written by confessing Christians. Um, there were some, a couple of really good ones on the CNN News app that I enjoyed. Um, there was a great one on the Fox News app that I clicked through and, and then kind of researched a little bit further. Uh, AP and Reuters service, which tries to kind of, they set themselves up at this gold standard of centrist and facts only. They had a couple of good ones. They were sort of archaeology-oriented and stuff, which was appropriate. Um, But the one that was the most original and caught my attention, so much that I sent it to you even, Harrison, Mm -hmm. like I I got a little weepy reading it, was the one on this question. Why is Jesus still wounded after his resurrection? It was in the New York Times opinion. I forget which day it was. uh, Written by a, a professing Christian, um, exploring this great question. And before I, and so I'm going to allow this author, I'll tell you who he is. I'm going to allow this author because he surveyed a number of different theologians, many of whom, a couple of whom I've had as professors and all of whom I respect. And so I'm going to kind of just trip around what different people have said in answer to this question. One of the reasons, however, I was drawn to the article, I didn't see this until I came back to read it a second time. The, uh, so to give credit where credit is due, Peter Weiner is the author of this article, W-E-H-N-E-R. Uh, Mr. Weiner ha- uh, served in various roles in three Republican administrations prior to the Trump administration. 
and he contributes authors uh, articles. They're often on faith. I've noticed it. This is the detail I didn't notice till I came back and read. He is a member at McLean Presbyterian Church in McLean, Virginia. Two interesting things about that. That's Presbyterian. We're Presbyterian with a small p. That is a PCA church, Presbyterian Church in America. We're kissing cousins as denominations. Third fun fact, that is the church Angie and I were married in. That is the church Angie was baptized in. She came to faith in the eighth grade. In a, 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 she was in a family that was not believing family, never had gone to church in her life. Uh, and when she went to a friend's uh, youth group Bible study, uh, she came to faith immediately when she read the Gospels. Mm. And a friend encouraged her to walk on Sundays to this church, McLean Presbyterian. And so that's <laughs> that's where we were married. Wow. It tripped me out that Mr. Wainer is a member there, and mm-hmm. it made me more excited to read this article. So, so here's what we all get, is that the Apostle Peter, and we all understand this, the Apostle Peter is, is we could quote many phrases in the New Testament, but he, he says, quote, by his wounds you have been healed. And that's almost a direct quote of Isaiah 53. Uh, by his wounds, you've been healed. We get that. We get the purpose of the wounds. But why, after his resurrection in his glorified body, did he still bear the vis- visible marks of his wounds? Because in that phrase, says healed. By his wounds, you are healed. If we are healed, uh, Jesus obviously was healed from death. Why did that not include the full healing of of the scars, because after all, actually, even in the Old Covenant, in the Hebrew Scriptures, for those of you tracking Bible journey or the Bible readings, you've read in some of the Leviticus stuff where you can't, you cannot offer an animal for sacrifice that has a scar or a blemish. And actually, kind of grossly, people who are deformed are not allowed in certain places in the tabernacle and the temple. Scars are signs of imperfection. Uh, a defacement, something we try to hide. We put makeup on it. Uh, I had a little, little, little. Uh, I forget what you call it. Not a dangerous skin growth, but one of those cut off on my forehead last fall, and I put makeup on it every Sunday for a while until it was hidden. I didn't want you guys to see my scar. Um, and in the case of Jesus, his scar was a reminder of pain and indignity. So, so why? And in fact. Um, considered the greatest Roman Catholic theologian is Thomas Aquinas, writing in the Middle Ages. Um, and the way Thomas Aquinas wrote, this is kind of interesting, is he wrote, writes these millions of objections to the Bible and to faith being true. And then his systematic theology is basically answering those objections. But he listed this as a potential objection to the truth of the Christian faith. He wrote this, um, scars and wounds imply corruption and defect. It was not fitting for Christ, the author of the resurrection, to rise again with stars, with scars, yet he reportedly did. Interesting. Hmm. Uh, it, have you ever thought about this question, Harrison? It's not like a, some big popular question that all apologists address. No, not, not in it. I mean, similar to you, not in any deep or detailed way it was just uh something something that i kind of just had accepted because i i i i'd grown up 
in in church as well. Uh, my dad uh, has been in ministry for thirty something years, and I grew up going to church, and that was kind of a foundational part of my life. So there are a lot of things I've <clears throat> wrestled with, but that was, um, you know, hearing it laid out like that makes sense as an objection. It's just not one that I ever had had the curiosity to dig into either. Yeah, I, I don't think it, and it's not necessarily presented as some big argument that atheists make. It's, just it's more like a yeah. why. Yeah. You're like, is, is there something that could add to my faith by looking into this question, mm-hmm. clearly it's significant. And I think that's maybe more of our spirit today in the spirit of this article. And so what uh, Mr. Wainer did uh, is he reached out to different theologians, pastors, and friends of his and just asked the question. <clears throat> and he's put together some of their answers. And so I want to just trip through a little bit of this with you, and we may stop at a couple of points. Um, and where he starts is interviewing someone you guys may have seen. And a lot of times when there's a quote on behalf of the Christian community, um, news sources will turn to Russell Moore. He's the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. I always, almost always, really appreciate his wisdom and perspective when he speaks on behalf of the Christian faith. And, Mm -hmm. and, And so Russell Moore says he starts by reminding that Jesus' death by crucifixion is part of a whole unfolding drama. It's not the end of the story. And resurrection is actually not the end of the story. Like, there's, there's more. And so Russell Moore said, told to him, quote, The resurrection is not the overturning of the cross, as though crucifixion were defeat and doesn't belong in the story, and resurrection a contradiction of that defeat. The cross and the resurrection were part of one act of love and mission and redemption. The resurrection does not annihilate the old creation, as Dr. Moore puts it. It reconfigures it. Super. According to Duke Divinity School's Kate Bowler, and I have to say that I, I don't know anything about Dr. Bowler's work, quote, we bear all the ruins of the lives we've lived and the loves we've endured. What a gift to have a Savior who does the same. Interesting. We bear all the ruins of the lives we've lived and the loves we've endured. What a gift to have a Savior who does the same. That made me think about the scar on my left knee. I was a um, state level, and I don't mind saying all state level, cross-country runner as a sophomore in high school here in North Carolina and, and in track. And I had some pretty big dreams, Harrison. Man, you know, I'm not even 16 yet. Um, this is kind of fun. Uh, and I, I had an injury. It's a long story. And I still have this big smiley face scar on the left-hand side of a knee. I had a girlfriend once who had turned the scar into a smiley face, and she would draw it differently <laughs> way back <laughs> in school. Um, and uh, that scar is still with me. And when I look down on it, and sometimes I feel it, uh, when I look down on it, I, I, every now and then I look at it as the death of a certain dream. Hmm. Now, I really like the life I've lived since then, and it, I've always said it, it, that injury kept me from idolizing that part of my life or idolizing success in that part of life, dealing with uh, being out of control of things and not successful at an early age and, and at a time when I was relating to the Lord. But still... Um, 
that's that's a ruin of a dream in my life that I now continue to live with, as does the Savior. My appendix scar, <laughs> my appendix uh, went bad and almost burst on me. And by the time I I was I was a sophomore, no, I was a junior in college. By the time I was uh, ready to be a the kind of man who's like, okay, I need help with this and go to the health center. They're like, you're about to die. It was almost that bad. Mm. And I've always thought, I look at that scar, and that was terrible. Um, but I've thought of it, it reminds me of the sovereignty of God that and the providence of God and His plans for me. Two months before that, I was out in the middle of the desert of northern Kenya, um, a five-hour plane, tiny little plane ride from anybody who could have done anything about this if it had happened to me then. Uh, do you bear any scars in your body, Harrison? Yeah, I mean, I, I have a one that's super weird. You kind of can't see it a lot now because I have a couple of tattoos that go in the same spot, but it's the most unique one that I have is I, I had broken my arm um, snowboarding and had gotten a cast in Colorado where we were where we were doing that. We came back a couple of weeks later, and this I don't know if there's any profound lesson from this. There's probably something I could plumb out of it, but a a string, a string had gotten loose inside the cast, under the cast against my skin. And over the month or whatever that I had it on there, the pressure from the cast actually dug the string that's like into odd. my into my skin. So yeah. I have a a line on my arm that's where a string over four weeks just slowly like pressed it was just super weird it's the weirdest scar because it's a perfectly straight line from a, a string getting that, it it's the weirdest the weirdest one that i have there's no you know that's an odd scar it is very <laughs> straight well, hear this again from uh duke divinity's professor bowler the wounds of our redeemer will always be there for all eternity as the sign of the price he paid as the hymn says it love divine all loves excelling I think I have certainly always imagined that I wouldn't have such scars um, in the new heavens and the new earth, and yet apparently we will. Uh, Professor Bowler went on to say, Forever and ever the price that was paid by the Son of God will be the measure of His love and visible to us. Hmm. Okay, but again, don't the prints of the nails, the gash of the spear, reveal weakness and vulnerability? Wouldn't it... Which is fine in this life, we're vulnerable to fallenness, but in the next life, we won't be. We will be invulnerable. Christ is now glorified. We will be glorified. Wouldn't it be better to remove rather than memorialize the visible signs of an agonizing death? Andy Crouch is a writer, along with InterVarsity Press, that some of you may recognize. He writes about the intersection of Christianity and culture. And he points out, I thought this was super interesting, the Latin word vulnerable comes from the Latin vulnus, which means wound. If God is woundable, is God, therefore, is that the same thing as vulnerable? Mr. Crouch says, The persistence of the scars show that the answer is unmistakably and eternally yes. If a scar is a healed wound, a wound that the body has marvelously managed to rescue and restore, then in some way Christ's entire bodily form, having suffered the ultimate injury of death, but having been rescued and restored, his entire body is that of a scar. He will be worshipped. The book of Revelation says, catch this, 
Revelation 5, 6, he will be worshipped in the form of a, quote, a lamb looking as if it had been slain, end quote. Oh my gosh, Harrison. I don't think I'd ever thought of that. I, I Just last night, the 20-somethings, we were talking about the wedding feast of the lamb in Revelation, but it's a lamb who looks, literally, that's the Apostle John puts that word in there as if it had been slain. Directly speaking to Jesus still bearing the scars. And so perhaps our scars, Crouch finishes, which are so often a source of shame and regret, you even put a tattoo on it, uh, he says, are the truest clues we have to the full form of our resurrection bodies. They are a scar. They are a reminder that all is healed. Philip Yancey is an author. I bet you're familiar with him. Uh, in fact, in uh, his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, Harrison, in the first year of our church, 1998, that book inspired me to preach the first series sermon series ever in the history of Lake Forest Church on the grace of God through Jesus Christ. I took a lot of his illustrations out of Philip Yancey's book. Philip Yancey, I, you don't know this, he, to this day, he is an elder in an EPC church outside of Denver, Colorado. Hmm. So, small little fact. Uh, Philip Yancey, in responding to this question, says, Jesus retained wounds stand as visual proof. You know, I think what he means there, you think about it. Remember, what, what did Thomas say? He wouldn't believe unless he could do what? He said, I need to see the, I need to see the holes in, in his hands. He didn't say, I need to see Jesus. It wasn't enough. What if Jesus had had a secret identical twin all these years, and then, and then they do whoop, whoop, mm-hmm. little shift, shift a roni uh, there. Uh, or if in heaven he has this completely unrecognizable but beautiful glowing form, well, what, is that Zeus? Is that Zarathustra? What is that? Thomas went right to the point. I'll know him if he's got exactly those wounds. I believe that's what Yancey means by the retained wounds stand as visual proof. That was certainly the case for Thomas, who then went on to plant churches in India, according to the best historical sources. He could have had a perfect body or no body when he returned to splendor in heaven. Instead, he kept a remembrance of a visit to earth And for a keepsake of his time here, he chose scars. The pain of humanity became the pain of God. Super cool. It it strikes me um, that what's really neat about that is it's it's continuing a theme that I think is a a really unique aspect of the Bible as a piece of uh, just even as a piece of religious literature if you step back from even looking at it as our holy book um the bible is so filled even from the beginning with just it's filled with putting people's weakness Mm -hmm. and their shortcomings and their flaws on display which to me has always been such such a a proof of of its authenticity that that even the heroes even the ultimate hero In of Jesus yes. uh, of the story is not uh, you you don't see those wounds erased that you don't see it uh, we're gonna we're gonna hit soon the life of 
David. You would think, man, if David was right, if David is right in the Bible and he was trying to make it his own thing, there's a lot of stuff he would not yeah. have wanted included in there that yes. <laughs> would have gotten yes. left out. And those those stories stand and have stood as more than anything is they're a warning, but they're also an encouragement because it's like yes. David was a guy after God's own heart. Look how much, look how weak he was and how much he screwed up. Like it's, it's okay uh, for us to have our wounds and our scars and our shortcomings. So for me, I, what I love about that and thinking about this from that angle and from where we've been this year is it's just, this has been the story of what God has done from the beginning is he said, look, Here's, here's the shortcomings. Here's the wounds. For Jesus, it wasn't a shortcoming. It was a wound. It was a mark of what could be viewed as, as a weakness. But uh, it's just super interesting to me. It, it, I've always found that to be an authenticator of the truth of Christianity myself. And I'm not an expert in comparative religion, but, but I've done my fair share of the work. And it is entirely unique among major world religions. There might be a tiny exception here or there. And, and one other thing, people often ask the question, I ask the question, could God have created the whole universe and been in relationship with humanity and angels in some other way that there, there had to be given free will and they were definitely going to fall and bad stuff and suffering would have to happen to end up in glorification? Did all that, is that really the only way that it could have been done in the scars in the new heavens and the new earth in our very Savior I believe are another way of God answering this is how in my sovereign eternal wisdom love could actually exist eternally between the Godhead and two sentient races with free will, the angelic and human beings. Uh, The next person to comment on this, uh, a couple more, is uh, Mark Laberton who is currently president of the seminary that Aaron Gibson and I attended for our Master's of Divinity in Los Angeles, Fuller Seminary. And, and he says that the fact that the traces of Jesus' wounds aren't simply wiped away allows us to make meaning of our losses and to make meaning of our lives. In other words, an essential part of what happened to Jesus should not be forgotten. It cannot be forgotten even in eternity. A, a, a sm- this answer is a small question some people have when a loved one or the, they themselves are dying. Our memories will not be wiped as in a sci-fi movie. It all matters. It will all culminate. We'll carry it all with us, our personhood, our memories, and our scars. Uh, In this way, it's similar to the situation facing victims of trauma, according to Dr. Laberton. To recover, they shouldn't be told to forget their trauma. They need to find ways to recontextualize and integrate it into their life stories. It's part of their story never to be downplayed, but it need not define who they are in perpetuity. And here's the end of his quote. The wounds of Jesus are not the final word, but they are meaningful. Hmm. Hmm. There's an artist internationally known and celebrated, um, probably no one listening to this podcast can afford his work. He's that good. Uh, he happens to be a professing Christian, and he has a whole Center for Arts and Theology in collaboration with Fuller Seminary. His name is Makoto Fujimori, Fujimura. Uh, by the way, there's a, a, an increasingly popular Bible out there for artistic types that includes some of his original artwork mm. and reflections on 
being an artistic person in the Christian faith, Makoto Fujimura. Uh, he wrote recently a book, Art and Faith, A Theology of Making. And, and now hear this. This is an extended analogy that the article closed with. He writes about the Japanese tradition of kits, kintsugi, kintsugi K-I-N-T-S-U-G-I. Kintsugi is the art of repairing broken pottery pieces with lacquer dusted with gold. A kintsugi master will take the broken pottery and create a restored piece that, quote, makes the broken parts even more visually sophisticated, according to Mr. Fujimura. Quote, no two works done with such mastery will look the same or break the same way, end of quote. It's built on the idea that embracing flaws and imperfections, you can create a more beautiful and more valuable piece of art. Applying that concept to theology, Mr. Fujimura makes this point. It's through our brokenness that God's grace can shine through, as in the gold that fills fissures in Kintsugi. Jesus came not to fix us, according to Mr. Fujimura, and not just restore us, but to make us something new. Even fixing what is broken is an opportunity to transcend the use of the object, Mr. Fujimura writes. Kintsugi bowls are treasured as objects that surpass their original, quote, useful purpose and move into a realm of beauty brought on by the Kintsugi master. Thus our brokenness, in light of the wounds of Christ still visible after the resurrection, can also mean that through making, by honoring the brokenness, the broken shapes can somehow be a necessary and glorified component of the new world to come. I find that the concept that fractures in our lives can be redeemed and leveraged for good deeply moving. All things, even broken things, can be made new again, and sometimes they can be made even more beautiful. And the scars need not be hidden in shadows or in shame. They can be more beautiful still with glory shining through. I'm grateful for that. And I look forward to it by faith. I don't I said that about my own scars a bit earlier. Those are just mementos of my life to this point. Mm -hmm. One of them a disappointment. One of them actually a great thankfulness. But to think that Jesus is not just making me a little bit better than I was and just fixed, but that, and I keep using this word because last night, I led a Bible study on the doctrine of glorification out of the book of Romans with the 20-something group, the young adult group out under the pergola. And the fact that our we did business, we kind of made each other look at each other because the scriptures say this, you will be glorious. And, and none of us would ever say that to you. I, I might say I'm an extrovert. I might say I'm goofy. I do say those things. I would never say I'm glorious. <laughs> But in the new heavens and the new earth, after the intermediate state, we die and, and uh, we go to be present with the Lord. Our spirit goes to be present with the Lord in heaven, which is only spirit. And then when Christ comes again, 
he marries heaven and earth into the new heavens and the new earth at the wedding feast of the Lamb, who looks as though he has been slain. And we are at that moment glorified. Our spirit from heaven is reunited with our body from earth into a resurrection body as is his, now with glory shining through the cracks of our wounds in ways that were glorious for Jesus and will be glorious for us. Mike, you and I have talked about this a lot, but I think part of the reason that this resonates so deeply and honestly so emotionally, you know, it's hearing those things like stir something in you is is because uh, you and I have talked about that God has like innately wired us for story. Mm-hmm. And I think there's there's a beauty in a story like that. I think of one of my favorite stories and yours also, uh, uh, the, the Lord of the Rings saga. And, and you think about like, it would, even for all of the, the pain and loss and even death that that world went through on the, the journey that, that Frodo and Sam made to destroy that ring, how weird would the story have been if the second they threw the ring in the fire, it was like a magic time machine that went back and everything went back to normal all the things they yeah. learned and grew didn't yeah. happen, and and it was just yeah. a world where the ring didn't exist and a snap of a finger. It, it we're we're wired where the beauty of a story like that is like, man, all that had to be done to get here, all that yeah. we've learned, all the ways that we've grown, and the ways that we have changed are the things that that now have made us who we are, and that's what that's what makes a story like that so beautiful. And the idea of the Kintsugi bowls and this artwork of taking things that uh, were shattered and making them new and beautiful just feels like the story that we have been built to tell. Well said. I when I remember out on the back porch on our futon reading to Dylan the conclusion of the Lord of the Rings, and we get to the part which represents glorification because of the pain and the scars. And even the death involved to get to this beautiful moment at the end. I could hardly read. Dylan still likes to bring this up. I could barely read for the tears of the beauty of it, not the sadness. Hmm. Um, And Romans 8, which we studied last night, says that you too, Harrison, will be released into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Not only is Christ glorious in that day, but, but... just like he shares his righteousness with us and exchanges it and we make it our own, he will share his glory with us and you will be glorious. And I long for that. And with that, let me close. The article closes with uh, something from another seminary professor of mine. Richard Mao was president of Fuller Seminary when I was there and when Aaron was there. And I took a philosophy class with him. And he points to the words from the 19th century hymn, Crown Him with Many Crowns. This also ends back at my wedding, Harrison. That was the concluding hymn Angie and I chose. Hmm. Crown him the Lord of love. Behold his hands inside. Rich wounds yet visible in beauty glorified. No angel in the sky can fully bear that sight, but downwards bends his burning eye at mysteries so bright. 
And it was that line, in beauty glorified, that particularly resonated with Dr. Mao, who offers up this. Our own wounds will not be left in the grave, but will also be beauty glorified. Mystery so bright is the last line of that hymn. And Dr. Mao reiterates to end the article, angels cannot grasp them, but one day we will. Friends, thank you for today's Ask LFC podcast. We appreciate it. If you think this might be helpful for other of your Lake Forest friends uh, who are sort of following closely along here, you might share the link to how they can subscribe. We look forward to being back with you guys next week. We'll catch you then.